Every so often, I like to comment on our moment in time in the liturgical year. As our culture drifts further from religious practice in the main, folks who show up for any given worship, like this one, for instance, might wonder about the meanings of our in-house language. So, as I mentioned in the welcome, today is known as Reign of Christ, or in the older language, Christ the King. And I'm thinking that, among other things, monarchies have been out of favor for a long time, having succumbed to the advance of democracy. So kingship seems a really dated concept. This day that marks the end of the church year wasn't introduced into the Christian calendar until 1925, when Europe was in massive disarray following World War I and colonialism at its worst. I suppose it was meant to underscore that, despite any current human condition, the heart of faith was fixed on God's transcendent authority and grace. Of course, religious aspirations are one thing and politics another. It was less than 15 years later the world was engulfed in World War II. Long after the horrible war was ended, no one was clamoring for a return to monarchy, though, despite the antics of British royalty. But here's the thing. Our scriptures are filled to the brim with talk about kings and queens and kingdoms. The readings you heard referenced this this morning. And as if to underscore the point, take a look up there in our app's mosaic. That's King Jesus on a throne. Talk about anachronistic. Who does that speak to today? I mean, it works well within the artistic and architectural program of this space, beautifully. But I don't think if left to our own devices, we'd dream this up today as expressive of our spiritual moment. Still, the image haunts our tradition. The just and wise king or queen, or their opposite, the cruel and fickle monarch. Jesus was said to be born of the house and lineage of David, the righteous king of Israel. And as the Gospels report, that's the question the Roman governor Pontius Pilate asked him, as you heard earlier. Are you king of the Jews? The issue was treason. The emperor of Rome allowed local vassal kings their regional power, but only up to a point, and then they had to be fully approved. Some upstart usurper would necessarily have to be dealt with. That's the backdrop at Pilate's palace. And of course, the real issue has to do with power. Who has it and who gets to wield it? We see that everywhere in our current political moment, right? Who has the power to rule the nation's roost, as it were? Well, Pilate can see this half-naked, bedraggled Jew doesn't have any obvious power, but he must deal with him nevertheless on account of the commotion he's caused. Is Jesus a king or not is the question hanging in the air ever since, right up to the present moment. Remember how he taught his friends this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom is the realm of a king. But Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not from this world. 
If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. All rather cryptic and layered. But laced throughout the long biblical narrative of kings and kingdoms is the question of authority, as in who has it and why? And is the authority trustworthy? Ultimately, democracies answered the question of political authority by stipulating the people should hold it, and they would choose their leaders who would exercise power on their behalf for a limited time. That way, political authority could be temporized. But for that to work, the people must have confidence that the system was reasonably trustworthy to produce competent outcomes. Citizens entrusted authority to a democratic process as opposed to a genetic lineage of monarchs that produced wildly divergent results. Although considering the state of our current political moment, we might wonder if we're truly all that much better off. Still, in the worst case scenario, a bad president lasts only a few years, whereas a lousy monarch can last a generation or more dribbling forward through incompetent offspring. Now, suppose there was a truly competent authority, someone utterly reliable, someone who didn't grasp after power and played his or her friends against each other or manipulated fear for political advantage, someone who identified with the least powerful within the kingdom where no one was beyond the bounds of compassionate regard. Suppose the bedraggled, half-naked Jew was a true king after all who willingly offered himself so that we might finally recognize that the most authentic authority was mysteriously linked to our powerlessness. As the Apostle Paul would eventually confess after his encounter with the risen Christ, when I am weak, then I am strong. This is really, really confounding theology for most of us. It runs exactly opposite to how we think the world works. And over the centuries, the church routinely lost track of this, succumbing to old addictive patterns of us versus them, amassing wealth and political advantage on the backs of the most vulnerable. But confessing this doesn't negate the truth at the heart of our faith. The God revealed in the life of Jesus would have us know that authentic authority comes by way of love and humility, not fear and arrogance. Repeat, the God revealed in the life of Jesus would have us know that authentic authority comes by way of love and humility, not fear and arrogance. And yet, one more time, because we are so difficult to teach, Authentic authority comes by way of love and humility, not fear and arrogance. Parents, pay attention. Bosses, friends, politicians, pay attention. Granted, this doesn't connect directly to a political party, let's say, in real time, but it most certainly does impact how we understand the issues of our common good the ramifications of loving God and neighbor in dangerous times, how easily we are manipulated by fear, how quickly we slice up our worldview into us and them, how willingly we relinquish higher ideals of equality, integrity, 
character and compassionate regard at the first sign of threat. We have issues with trusting the man depicted up there in the mosaics. It's easy enough to agree with him that his kingdom is not of this world. We certainly get that. The world's messed up. He pointed to an alternative way of thinking about the human project. And as a result, the power brokers took his life. Ironically enough, though, that wound up focusing a spotlight on his life and wisdom, such as the first shall be last and the last first. And no one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for others. And of what good is it to you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? That wisdom is sitting up there on that throne. Do you see? That topsy-turvy way of thinking revealing the heart of God. It's completely counterintuitive, and you can see why he lost his life, because it put all temporal powers on notice. In a few minutes, we'll recite the famous words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And I wonder if we'll recognize them as a motto for a revolution, because that's what they are. They are a full-on challenge to the status quo. Think of saying them in this manner, holy God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in by implication, meaning I align myself with that cause, so help me God. And suddenly, a Sunday worship service turns into a kind of sedition. And you see how that is, because the man on the throne up there was on trial for treason. The stakes for us haven't really changed all that much, really. It's best if we understand that following the way he blazed pits us against the puny prerogatives of petty people, arrogantly manipulating power for selfish ends. But then, first and foremost, we're citizens of the kingdom of God, aren't we? <laughs>